0: You know, as we begin this uh, academic year, <clears throat> I suspect that someplace in the back of our minds is this this question: Will I be successful? I think that may particularly be the case if you're just starting uh, at uh, either maybe starting in high school or starting in college, a new venture, and. You're looking ahead, and you're probably going to think that even more so the first day of classes, when you get all those syllabi and you gather those around you, and you become very overwhelmed by everything that's going to be expected of you. But I suspect most of us don't enter a new academic year thinking, "I hope I fail." I mean, we want to be successful, we want to succeed, we want to do well. That's what—that's why we're here. The question that keeps going through my mind, and has for a long time, is. What does it mean to be successful? What does it look like to be successful? When you think to yourself, this is what success looks like, what comes to mind? I think it's something we all wrestle with on a regular basis about a whole variety of things related to our lives. And when we think about success, the question then is, how do I get there? What do I need to do to become successful? And no matter what we say, what we really believe about what success is and how we become successful is more about what we do than what we say. And I think there is something of that in this 127th psalm. This is a psalm about how we live our lives. This is a psalm about priorities. This is a psalm about what it means to be God's people in the world that, quite frankly, a lot of times defines success differently than God does. And it's a challenge to us and hopefully an encouragement to us. You'll notice as the psalm begins, he says, "...unless the Lord builds a house, the 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 work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good." Now, he's not saying it's a bad idea to build a house. It's a bad idea to guard the city. He's not talking about that at all. He's simply saying if God God isn't in the center of it, we've missed it. Some of the translations use the word vain. Some use the word useless. Some say it's a waste. But that word keeps being repeated because it isn't just what we do, it's the motivation behind what we do. It's the priority of God in what we do. If God isn't center in all of our activity, then we have missed its purpose. Human activity is a gift of God. This is also not saying, hey, just lay back, be lazy, let it go, doesn't matter what you do. He's not saying that. Human activity is not a curse, it's a gift. There's something awesome about creating something, about, about doing well at something, accomplishing something, having an achievement about something. That is, that's a great sensation, a great feeling to be able to do that. Whether you're talking about the classroom or the athletic field or in the gym or with anything else you're talking about. Whatever it is you're doing, there is something exciting and right about saying, I accomplished something. I did something. I learned something. I grew. I developed. I got better. But in the middle of that, if God isn't in the center of it, then we've missed it. If it's what we're doing, and it doesn't matter what we're doing, because he's talking about very common, mundane things. Building a house, guarding the the wall. Those are not what we might say. These are spiritual things. They're just common, everyday life. And in common, everyday life, God still says... If you want it to be successful, he needs to be in the middle of it. I think, our, I think that is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, if you went to Sunday school, how many of you went to Sunday school growing up? Okay, quite a few people. Remember that song you learned, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? It's one of my favorite songs because it was active and it had explosions at the end of it when the sand blew up, Right? That was, that was my favorite part of it. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, the the, para, the word of which that is based, that too often we build our houses on sand and they crumble. And what's he talking about? He's saying we're building our lives, we're, building, we're thinking about our priorities, we're thinking about success, and God is at the exterior of it. And to build the foundation of our lives and everything that we do, whatever that may be, It's only going to stand, it's only going to have meaning, it's only going to have eternal meaning if God's in the center of it. When we wrestle with putting God in the center of it, we have a tendency to become a workaholic about whatever it is we're doing. If we think that success comes from people thinking I'm valuable which means I have to achieve more, I have to have more accolades, I have to be more successful, I have to gain, 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 get, get, get. I have to impress people. If that's what's going to drive in our minds our value and our worth, then we will work ourselves to the bone to make that happen. We've all been there. We've all done it. And what does he say in verse 2? The writer says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. It's vain to think that if I just work more, work more, work more, I will then experience value and worth. And you'll notice that he says, this is about God's loved ones. And that's the point. Who is it that God doesn't love? No one. God has designed the world for people to rest. God has designed the world for people to sleep. And there's something in us that says if I just push myself and push myself and push myself, then people will think I'm worthwhile and valuable. But God says, look, rest. I've got this. Jesus says in Matthew 6, why do you you worry about what you're going to eat or drink or, or clothes you're going to wear? You know your Heavenly Father knows about all these things. Your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. He will care for you. And when you know God will care for you, you can rest. It's the question about whether we believe God is who he says he is. It's that question of whether we think God really is good, that God can really take care of us, that causes us to say, I don't have time to rest. Now again, he's not saying laziness is part of the kingdom of God. He's not saying that at all. He's simply saying, put your work, put your efforts, put your life, Put everything that you do in the context of God at the center. Trust Him. Now, there is a, a variant translation to the last line of verse two, and you might see that in some of the some of your Bibles. They they have that at the bottom. He says, uh, "They anxiously work for food to eat. For while they sleep, He provides for His loved ones." And that's a little bit of a different idea than God saying, you can sleep because I'll take care of it. This is saying, while you sleep, I'm doing things that you don't have anything to do with. That's why sleep is is a means of trusting God. That's why Sabbath and rest are a means of trusting God. Because we believe that God can do more while we're sleeping. Than we can while we're waking. I'll, I'll be transparent with you. There, you know, when I get up to preach on Sundays, there's a part of me that's thinking, "I hope I do a good job, so people will think I'm, I'm, I'm valuable and I have worth." It's the human nature in us, and so there is something in my spirit that says, "If I just work harder, work longer, do more, read another book, read another magazine, take more, do more, do more." Do more then that will happen. But there's no end to that. It, it's chasing your tail. You never get to the end of it. And what, I, what I've come to see, even this week, it's been, I've been reminded of that as I'm working at this passage, is that God is at work. God's the one who's going to do anything that happens today. And God has been at work long before we got here in our hearts And God will continue to be at work after we're gone, whether you remember a thing that was said today or not. And while we're here, God is at work in our hearts, even if it has absolutely nothing to do with anything I'm talking about. Because God does more than we can do. That's who he is. And we can rest in that. Again, resting in Him doesn't mean we're being lazy and we don't care and we let everything go. It just puts what we do in perspective to trust Him. That's what it means to be His loved ones, to trust Him. The thing about this psalm is that the second part of it, there's a sort of a sense that it feels a little bit out of place. I don't know if you noticed that when we were reading it. You get this dramatic shift from houses and and guarding and sleeping to children are a blessing from the Lord. And you wonder, where does that come from? Where do you get from that to that? In fact, it's such a, a, a dichotomy in some people's minds that there are scholars who say that really wasn't a part of the original text. At some point, some scribes said, you know what, let's throw that in there. That might be fun. No, I don't think that's the way it worked but i've been wrestling with what's the connection between the first two verses and the last three verses and i read something this week that i think i think is right this author was talking about how the first two verses are the principle this is how you live with god at the center and the last three verses are the example just one example of how we're called to do that and how it works And the example is about children. His children are a blessing from the Lord. And the thing about children is that no matter how involved we are in the process of bearing children, ultimately, that's out of our hands. Because there are people in this world who do everything they possibly can to have children and are unable to do so. And it's a great grief to them, and we grieve together about it, and it's painful. And we don't understand it. And it reminds us that that the idea of bearing children is out of our hands. And at some point, we come to the place of, of say, "We, we trust you, Lord, even if we don't understand. We're going to put you in the center of that and and the very fact that it's such a grieving thing for us to not be able to bear children tells us that the, that the psalmist is right the children are a blessing and we see them that way they're a blessing from god they're a gift from god it's like all the other gifts that he gives us we didn't we don't earn it we can't we can't convince god to do it we we can't make it happen it's a gift And life is a gift. And relationships are a gift. And the thing about children is they're not only a gift, they're a responsibility. They're a big responsibility. I think most people who have never been parents discover that about three weeks into bringing the baby home. Maybe sooner than that. Wow. This child needs me every single moment. And the thing about children is that it's not just children in our home. I think he's saying all children are a blessing of God. Every child is a blessing of God. Every child is a gift from God. and that means the children in our homes and the children in our church and the children in our neighborhoods and the children in the places where we may work, every child that we encounter, every child in the world is a gift of God, and they're a blessing. And they're a responsibility to us. They're a responsibility to not only the children that, in our homes, but the children in our neighborhoods and how we love them and care for them and nurture them. And the children in the places where we may work, we, we care for them. Some of you are a long ways from having children. Some of you are past the point of having children, and now it's grandchildren. And many of you are, And some of you are in between there. And some may have no children. But we have children here, we have children all around us, and we have a responsibility to nurture them in the faith. And if our goal of life is to, to find our, our success and to find our value and worth in all the things that we do, I guarantee you children will be shoved to the periphery because they take too much time and too much energy and too much effort. And that's true of all of our relationships. Children, in some ways, children are an example of all of our relationships and just being in relationship with people. And you're going to find that throughout throughout your life. It may be in your apartment or in your dorm room or in the classrooms, or it may be other ways. But you're going to find that relationships can be a great gift, but they're also a responsibility and they're a challenge. And the question is, are we going to see people the way God does? And if we are driven to success, relationships become things that we use to our advantage. Relationships are, are things that, that we engage in only when it's convenient for us. And God's not the center of that. I was reading not too long ago about a minister who had uh, two sons... And they were struggling with stuttering. And so he took them to a speech therapist who happened to also be a psychologist. And after the, the therapist met with the, the two boys, he met with the, the father. And he said to him, the father said, the minister said, he was livid with me. In fact, he said he swore at me. And he said, what are you doing? You're ruining these boys' lives. He said, you're not giving them any time and energy and attention. When was the last time you took a vacation? And the minister said to this therapist, well, it's been a long time, but you know, I don't have time for a vacation. I'm doing important work. I'm doing things I need to do. He said, I always thought in the back of my mind, the devil never takes a vacation, so I won't take a vacation. And he said, all of a sudden it hit me, wait, maybe the devil shouldn't be my role model for how I live my life. (laughs) And yet... It's not the devil who creates rest and sleep and Sabbath. The devil is the one who's going to drive us to think you do more, do more, do more, because that's where your worth and value lies, something you never get to the end of. And God is saying, I love you more than that. I care for you more than that. Rest in me. Trust me. Work hard. Do everything you can. And trust me, there is a sense in which that's true of all of our relationships. And there is a sense in which what the psalmist is saying is a precursor to what Jesus says when he, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Put him in the center of everything in your life. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself people, relationships. Because success is not in what we accomplish. Success is being children of God who love Him and love others and trust Him. Because we believe that no matter how much we do, God is at work doing more. It's about priorities. I was reading something about Carl Sandburg, and he said that um, he asked the question if there was a fire in your house, what would you save first? Children or possessions? Well, of course, that's a no brainer, right? We save the children. We we'll always pick the children. We pick people before we pick stuff. It, it, it's not even a debate. And as I was thinking about that, another question popped into my mind. Why don't we live that way every day? Why don't we live that way every day about the priority of our lives is not the stuff we accumulate or the accolades we get, but relationships, people? This is a song about that, that the pilgrims sing as they are going to Jerusalem to celebrate the great festivals and to worship God. And it's kind of an odd psalm to sing as you think about it. You have all these massive Hebrews walking on the road and they're singing this psalm. When you stop and think about it, this psalm is really about remembering who God is and remembering who we are. And isn't that in a sense, the heart of worship. Remembering who God is and remembering who we are as His beloved children. So as you get ready to move into, for some of you, this academic year, for others, it's just moving on with life. Where is God in the middle of that? What's success look like? Holy Father, put your finger on something in our lives that might be twisted, turned, out of kilter, that we might know the joy of life with you, trusting you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.